Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. Catch and Shoot podcast back this week. Noah Kozlov out here in New York City. Adam Stanko out west in San Francisco back from the Saratoga vacation. And it's a big day in the Stanko household. It's your son Hudson's first day of pre-K. How'd the drop-off yeah. go this morning? Yeah, drop-off went well. We he was he was going to some like home daycare setup with a woman that my my wife is not a big fan of. Um, sure, she's not listening to the podcast, so we're good. No one needs trust me on this. I'm I'm. There are very few things in life I'm more sure of than the idea that this woman would not be listening to the to the podcast uh, well, well i don't know i mean she might be a big bo outlaw fan who's coming up soon that's possible that's possible i have to ask him if he uh if he knows her uh but uh it was it was actually good we found this 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 great little preschool and the, the best part is it's literally a few hundred yards from our from our house it's incredible like how this works out so daycare now uh, so he walked there by off. himself uh, <laughs> it's even funnier because there's a few like busy streets. Just the idea of a two and a half year old <laughs> walking down the steep hill in San Francisco area. To, uh, no, he uh, we 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 actually drove him down so that we could make it for the timing of this podcast. But uh, he did he did well. There's no more painful words though than than Daddy, please stay. That's, I know that's uh, uh, pretty. But then it go, goes the other way go. too, though, right? Noah, like then when they are comfortable with you dropping them off. There's a, there's some pain in that, that we've both experienced too. Like, sure. Oh no, I'm fine. Walk away, dad. I'm good. So, so, um, what, so what's good. his, so what's his schedule? Is it a full day thing? Yeah. He's, he's, uh, you know, got dropped off early morning and now he'll be there till, you know, five o'clock, but they, uh, they keep him pretty entertained. It's, it's wild. that like this business of daycare has, has gotten so uh, intense, but he's, he's, he's pretty happy. He's happy that he's got kids his own age. Cause the home daycare, he was with kids that were like, he went there when, when he was, you know, one years old. And, and so at that point it was all little kids and then he sort of outgrew it. And so he was like the big kid and the rest were babies. And now he's in a situation where all the kids are his age. So it's just gonna be fun time the entire time. So we told uh, Eden yesterday she starts kindergarten at the same school where she was at pre-K. We uh, we told her yesterday that that her closest friend from school isn't in her class this year. Oh, so so this girl's mom, um, they're from Australia, so they were in Australia over the summer, and 
and uh, and sent Marissa a text saying, I told Al, I told her that we don't have that she's not in our class, um, or they're not in class together. A lot of tears. So we told Eden yesterday as we were putting on suntan lotion on our way to the pool because we were thinking like, all right, maybe that'll be a you know a distraction. So we said, sure. oh hey, you know we just found out that you know you know a friend is is not in your class, but you've got a few days after school where you, where you don't have anything. So we'll just schedule play dates on those days. And then you guys can have sleepovers. And she said, Oh yeah. And then maybe we'll have recess together and lunch. So then the two of them last night were talking on WhatsApp, just these two kids holding phones, <laughs> chatting with each other for the Incredible. first, for the first time in, in about a month, uh, they had chatted once or twice when, uh, when this girl was in Australia and, uh, and they were just, you know, just talking about, all sorts of things or then Eden will say she had to go into her room for some privacy or certain things that we couldn't hear. We said, all right, yeah, just uh, enjoy yourselves. Be safe. <laughs> <laughs> They're going out for mimosas later? Yeah, or most likely. Yeah, most likely. And Eden asked, asked me today, um, uh, Dad, when 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 am I going to be allowed to dye my hair pink? Oh. And I said, uh, I said, I don't know. Like when you're, you know, when you're an adult. You can you can do that if you if you want, and she said uh, like when I'm like like what age? I said I don't know, seventeen, eighteen. She said okay, eighteen. Yeah, that's that's good. Okay, I'll do it when I'm eighteen. <laughs> okay. Did you mark it off on the calendar? Right. So if, so because if, if I say no now, then it becomes a thing. Yes. But if I say yeah, sure, like she's not gonna obviously remember when she's eighteen years old that I told. I don't know the way her mind works. She might, but she might not remember uh, that that we agreed to that walking across town today from the library. Well, I, I told my girls uh, who are now 15 and 13 uh, a while ago that they couldn't date until they were 30. And uh, interesting. They, I think they accepted that. Yeah. But well, it was aggressive, but also I just wanted them to realize that it should be thought of as a far away period of in time. You know, when you're, when you're 10, you're 12, you're, you're, 30 years old seems like an eternity. So that was basically it. Like, just try to hold them off as long as possible. Uh, that, that didn't work, Noah. Uh, the boy thing, you know, came in about 14, 15 years old. So um, yeah, look, it was a good way, strategy. It was a good strategy. I, I, the way I think about it is how can you, you know, tell your kid not to do certain things that you did at certain ages of course it just course. it's really it's really tough unless it's a massive mistake but if it's if it you know if it didn't cause any harm then how can you do it but i will say that my my girls i feel like are way more mature at their ages than i was uh at that age and may and you know who knows it may be just perspective but i but i look at them now and i'm like wow they make such better decisions than i made they're way more mature um and it's definitely not due to the parenting <laughs> i can tell you that much oh so, yeah, you want to talk some hoops yeah let's get into it time to hit the spread make sure everybody's downloading the rest of the pure hoops media podcast network shows we've got the mike wise show buckets boards and blocks monica mcnutt pure hoops podcast with nba champion bj armstrong and eric newman and also you can go back and listen to a bunch of the interviews that we've done and even if the stuff off the top isn't relevant just you could fast forward to the interviews and hear mike breen todd mccullough will purdue alex english 
Steve Volpet, George Carl, Rick Barry, they're about 25 plus interviews. So suggest everybody going back to listen to those. We're going to have Bo Outlaw shortly. But first, last week we said that we had gold off the top and then we cut it short because of Brad Doherty. But we were going to talk about Sebastian Telfair and he got arrested and sentenced to three and a half years for gun possession. And he had had run-ins before but i watched the courtroom video Mm -hmm. of him and it was it was really difficult to watch someone who and i I don't know what his mental state was or has been but he was seeing someone who was on the cover of sports illustrated seem so desperate was Mm -hmm. was sad it's really sad to see so my first interaction with the the legend that was Sebastian Telfair uh, in New York in ninth grade, uh, he was the rising ninth grader. So coming off his as an eighth grader, uh, he was um, Stefan Marbury's cousin or nephew. I, I forget at the time, um, but Marbury well, if, was. If, well, if he was related to him, then he's still related to him. It yes, would, it yes, it wouldn't yes, be but... it wouldn't be an at the time situation. <laughs> this, this is true. This is true. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Sure. They, they, <laughs> that doesn't they, change. They were, doesn't they were change. brothers then, but now they're cousins. I, I don't, I don't... <laughs> the they're cousins. They're cousins. So our our producer Scott Turkin uh, clarified it for me. But the the point was that that Marbury had been this uh, legend at Lincoln High School in New York, and then. Telfair was the the second coming as his cousin and and people had known about him since a young age. So here he is as a ninth grader playing at ABCD camp, which had featured at the time, the top 200 high school players in the country. And so having a ninth grader there was a big deal. And Sonny Vaccaro was all over it. And Telfair looked like a ninth grader. That was the big difference from a lot of the guys that you would see at some of these camps, you know, when an OJ Mayo or something was invited at a young age, certainly LeBron, who I'm going to get to in a moment because that connects with Telfair. But but those guys looked older than their age. Telfair looked like a ninth grader, was this little scrawny kid, but his ball handling ability was incredible and he could score and he was like a wizard with the ball and he was just so much fun to watch and he had this big smile and so it was just really cool i think for people to see this kid that was way undersized compared to the rest of the camp uh, against all these future nba players and he's this little kid and he's he's competing against them and, and playing fairly well so that was my first introduction to him so i was working on a high school sports show at the time and we end up following the Sebastian Telfair story because he became such a big sensation. You mentioned it like Sports Illustrated, all that stuff. So I'm connected at this point. Um, and I knew a guy who was, an, let's call him an aspiring agent. Um, I don't want to say like the underbelly of high school hoops, but he guy wanted to be an agent. He calls me one day and says, hey, Sebastian Telfair's AAU team, um, which was playing games at like a public school, I want to say like IS8 in Queens, uh, in New York. He said, they're playing a game tonight and LeBron James is going to play on Telfair's team. He's like, I think it'd be good video if you show up to this to this gym. So I go with a cameraman. We go show up to shoot video, see if we could probably find a use for it. 
And at this point, Telfair is now, uh, I want to say, going into maybe his junior or senior year. I don't, I don't remember which one, but it's, you know, summertime, AAU scene. And what had happened was LeBron was coming in town because Telfair and LeBron James were shooting a famous Slam magazine cover. And so they shot that in New York. And they decided, Telfair basically said to him, when you come into town, I'll pl- you can play on my AAU team, which is hysterical because LeBron James, the hype machine, had been crazy at that point. But people, keep in mind, this is early 2000s. It wasn't like the Twitter age and YouTube where everyone had seen what was going on at this point, right? So you didn't see video of LeBron James. People didn't know at this point, uh, at that time necessarily, just how good he was. They certainly hadn't seen him in person. So anyway, LeBron James flies in. Uh, we show up and there's two games being played. We go to like basically what you could think of as the undercard. And there were guys that were future NBA guys like, um, or at least high level D1 guys like Jason Frazier played at Villanova and, and guys like that. Uh, I think Alan Ray might have played in that game. Um, uh, Randy Foy, maybe guys like that. So then for this like Villanova's JV team, basically, basically, exactly, exactly. So basically, and I may have a couple of those guys wrong, but I just remember some Jason Frazier playing for sure. So all of a sudden, LeBron, like the gym, there's no one for this early game, even though there's a bunch of D1 guys playing. All of a sudden, the gym starts to fill up. And, and Noah, this gym had only one section, one side had bleachers. And the bleachers maybe went five or six rows deep. The gym just starts to fill up with people because they hear that LeBron James is coming into town awesome. to play on Telfair's team. It was the coolest scene. So we're on the baseline standing up. And LeBron comes in. Telfair had been there. Like people had seen him. And LeBron shows up. He literally had flown in from Ohio, got to New York. I don't know which airport, but immediately then driven out to Queens, shows up. And then is expected to play in this game. And he plays. Well, he's probably flown private. Uh, pro- probably. Yeah, <laughs> probably. So he shows up and he ends up playing. And the scene was right out of what people picture when they think about, you know, all the Rucker games and all that. Except it's in an indoor gy- small gym, you know, little like high school, almost elementary school gym. And it's this tiny gym and it's packed. And people are like falling onto the court, like to see LeBron and Telfair. And Telfair played the best game I've ever seen him play. And LeBron played one of the worst. LeBron had like four points in the game. And he was trying to find people. And if you had seen LeBron play prior to that, and certainly since then, you know, he was all about getting his teammates involved and making flashy passes. So for him, he was trying to like... So so what age was this for LeBron? This is probably going into his... It's his junior year or senior year. It must okay. have been. I'm, I'm, it, I'm thinking it was his his junior year, but I'll I'll have to uh, do some more research. Maybe I can find it out. So whenever the Slam magazine cover was that the both okay. the both of them mm-hmm. were on, so we can find a date for that. Maybe our producer can look it up right now. Turkin can find that Slam cover. So anyway, Telfair plays the game of his life so much so that I'm seeing him do so much stuff in terms of breaking guys down off the dribble, August two thousand threes. Perfect. Okay, and so LeBron was in the next year's draft. So that would go on right. the summer before their uh, LeBron senior year, mm-hmm. right? So um, 
so then, yeah, so he ends up, Telfair plays so well in the first half that I'm like, man, I saw him do everything. The only thing I didn't see is the kid like really show true athleticism. In the second half, he ends up getting the ball out on the break and and dunks it, and the place went berserk, went <laughs> berserk. And so you sat there, and at the time, the point being, if you were in attendance at that game at that time, people walked away and they went, man, LeBron James isn't that good. It's it's hype. You could see there were some flashes, but he's nothing. Like, he couldn't do it in our city. Now, meanwhile, the guy is a high school kid who had crazy hype, flew in a plane, then took a car service immediately, gets out of the car from going playing car, plays in a game with a bunch of guys he's never met before, doesn't know. And everyone in the crowd is sort of screaming, you can't handle in New York, all that. So the pressure was insane, but he still played well. And if you appreciated it as a basketball fan, you could appreciate what he was still doing, even if he wasn't scoring. But if you saw that game as an outsider, you would think as a, as a layman, like, wow, this Telfair kid might be better than LeBron James. And that mm-hmm. gets to the point that, that I was getting at, which makes this whole thing just such a shame, is that like there was a point in time where the legend of Telfair and, and Bassey, as they call him in New York, like was so big. And to see the downfall. And then he ends up, you know, he's going to go to Louisville and a story that people don't know. And then we can wrap up and get to, to Bo Outlaw. But he was supposed to go to Louisville, was heavily recruited by Rick Pitino. Ian O'Connor talks about this in, in his book. And I talked to Ian before, well, before he wrote his book on, on Telfair. And basically, Rondo was going to go to Louisville, Rajon Rondo. Telfair mm-hmm. ends up like committing, I think, to Louisville, but then deciding to go to the pros. Um, you know, first really small guard to leave out of high school and go to the NBA. And when Telfair did that, because Louisville blew the chance to get Rondo, he decides to go to their rival Kentucky. And then ironically, Telfair and Rondo both end up as Boston Celtics early in their career. And we know what happened to Rondo's career and, and to Telfair's as well. So I just, it, it's one of those stories that like so many guys that you and I've seen through the years that are, the hype machine is crazy. But if you were there, you saw why it was crazy because there is true potential from this guy and how the city just rallied around him and wanted him to make it. And he just, he just never did. Yeah, he never did. I mean, he made about 20 million bucks in his career and played for eight teams over about 10 seasons. And he had had some trouble. I remember a story once when he like was getting on the team plane. It, it might've been, yeah. might've been in Boston or maybe it was in Portland, but it might've been in Boston. He was getting on the team plane with, uh, and he and he got stopped because he had a gun and a pillowcase. Pillowcase. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He's playing um, for the Blazers, I think, at the time. Yeah, Blazers at that point. Yeah, those are his first two years. He was nineteen and twenty years old, and so it, it's uh, and it, it it was it was it was it was sad. It was sad to see. Um, and it also makes you think about LeBron's career. And I say it all the time that the expectations for LeBron and the pressure on LeBron could not have been any higher. And LeBron has soared past expectations and that crazy and and for someone for anybody with the highest of expectations that never happens or rarely ever happens and he has soared past expectations um another thing i want to talk about is on sirius nba radio and uh next time i'm on the air is well the podcast won't be out well i don't know i'm on tuesday so that's tomorrow we're recording this on monday it's tuesday the 20th i'm on with uh with reggie theus who i've never done a show with uh, and I'd like to ask him about that NBC show, Hang Time. <laughs> I thought that's where you were going. And I'd also like to ask him about Jordan, but I'm not sure 
mm. what's sensitive and what's sensitive and what's not. But over the weekend, Gerald Brown hosts a show on the weekends, the bottom line sports show who's on with Mitch Lawrence, who's longtime NBA writer for the daily news. And they put out their top five, all all time NBA duos. Okay. Yep. So here, so here's Mitch Pippen and Jordan, Kareem and magic, Russell Cousy, Shaq, Kobe, bird and McHale. Okay. Uh, honestly, there's, I don't, I don't have any problem having any of those on the list. You can debate some, but, but no sure. problem at all. Right. 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 There's, right. there is an argument to be made a very, and, and an easy one for all five of those to be included on the list. And remember we had, um, uh, Brad Darty told us last week that Jordan never would have won as much without Pippen, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Gerald Brown, Pippen, Jordan, Malone, Stockton, Shaq, Kobe, Isaiah and Dumars and Penny and Shaq. Now, Gerald and Penny are close friends. They've known each other for a long time. I, I don't I also don't think if he didn't include Penny that Penny would have called him up and said, Hey, you didn't put me on your top five NBA duos. <laughs> no. Wouldn't wouldn't have happened. That that to me, that list that list is embarrassing. Okay. One, Penny Penny and Shaq don't belong on any on, on any sort of accomplishment lists they for potential sure but we don't yes. we don't judge we don't judge people's careers based on their potential uh we do judge careers based on not meeting potential and that's what happened with those two given penny's injuries but also they they did get the two finals great got swept in both and they only played together for three years three years so i mean i would i would even put steph and if you want to if you want to take team you know players that only played together for a few years like mm-hmm. why not steph and clay or steph and kd or yeah, for sure lebron or lebron and wade you know <laughs> i i mean oscar and and kareem is uh you know i that noah the um the remarkable thing about Jerry West and Elgin Bell. That's this. stuff stupid. Here, here's, here's what's wild about it. In addition to, look, I, I love for the, the splashy headline and all that. And, and I was as honestly as about as big a, an Anthony Penny Hardaway fan as, as you could be. I was a huge fan when he was at Memphis State. Uh, I remember, you know, he was number three pick and was traded for Weber. And it was, it was humongous for the Magic because they got three first round picks. Um, in order and in addition to getting Penny just for for the two slots that, that you know the um the Chris Weber deal there uh when Chris Weber was um you know going to be a mad member of the Magic and and ends mm-hmm. up to the Warriors but anyway the whole blue chip story yeah so no what really gets me about this is NBA fans and this goes to an NBA Twitter thing that you and I have sort of railed against uh over the last few months but the sense of history and where guys have certain guys have gotten elevated. And I, 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 it just, it annoys me so much. There was a recent list put out whether the dream team was better than the redeem team and people sort of cherry pick um, situations and things in, in history and sort of say, they look back now with it's revisionist history. And it just drives me up a wall because it, people, first of all, treat it like if you didn't play in the last 30 years, you couldn't play, period. And that mm-hmm. one alone 
drives me crazy. And then also certain guys and careers have gotten elevated, whether it's because people saw a documentary, might, might have saw, you know, the 30 for 30 on the, you know, Orlando Magic. Uh, I don't know if that was a 30 for 30 short or what have you. But but I remember there, there's that. There's been a lot of pub about Penny's career with the Magic. And he was awesome. Penny awesome. was an incredible player. And his his potential was through the roof. A six seven point guard who was extremely athletic and creative and a right. wonderful he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't miss his he didn't miss meeting his potential at him because something went wrong off the court or he was a knucklehead or he just wasn't good enough. No, he got hurt. He got hurt. He got hurt. And so Brand, are we going to call Brandon Roy and Greg Oden one of the greatest duos of all time? Mm-hmm. Like their potential was through the roof. No right. doubt. It's so, it's so silly. It's, but it's silly. I, I, I have to wonder though, as someone who does this all the time, and this is my big question for you, you're dealing all the time with analysts and other co-hosts doing NBA radio stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, do you find that when you're talking to a lot of these guys that these lists that they put out, like, like, do you feel like it comes from a place of authenticity, like no. sincerity? Well, well, so I do with, with Gerald's, I do. I don't, I don't think it's like, <laughs> like trying to get phone calls. There are other hosts right, that will do things just to get phone calls. And there are, there's, there are other hosts who have said, I don't care how I'm being talked about as long as I'm being talked about. Wow. And that, and that to me is kind of disgusting. Dishonest. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do think, uh, I, I think I'm a bit more open-minded than most on the, on the channel. And I like to think in, in general. So hey, look, I mean, if you want to make a, you want to make an argument, I'm not going to, not going to yell at you, but I'm going to tell you that, well, no, that they don't belong in the top five and here's why. But if you, I mean, if you truly believe that and I can sense in your voice that, cause I can, I can read people pretty well. Right. So, you know, if you're, if you're trying to make a legitimate argument, then, okay. All right. If that's how you feel, fine. Make, make the legitimate argument. But if you're just trying to say something just to rile me up or rile up somebody else, I, I don't, I don't have time for you. And here's the thing. If it's inauthentic and someone says, okay, well, what does it ultimately even matter if this guy's out there trying to, to get calls or, or what have you? The, the only reason that it's significant for me is that I just feel like when you start to alter what's happened historically, then it just changes the perception of the, the next generation. I mean, and we all are biased in our beliefs. Someone had once said to me, and I think this is so true, that no sports figures will ever be as great in your eyes as the guys that were at their peak when you're 10 years old, because you look at them as though they're, they're gods, that they're legendary figures that, that no one can ever be as big or as impressive or as athletic Mm -hmm. as, as they look at 10. And it's true because sometimes, you know, you go back and you look at guys and go, Oh, I thought he, I thought he was, you know, he, I remember him being more ripped than that. I remember him being more athletic than that. You know, you, you watch old tape. But at the same time, I know when people go back, if you watch games from, let's say, the 90s, for instance, I remember recently I was watching a classic game and Otis Thorpe took a rebound yeah, yeah, and yeah. went the length of the court 
and had this monstrous dunk. And they didn't even like show replay or anything. And yeah. I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, that would be a top 10 play tonight at Sports Center. Everybody be tweeting about it. And meanwhile, oh, grab this and is, go guy, yeah. Yes, yes. And this is Otis Thorpe, not a guy that we think of as being one of the elite athletes to play during yeah, but that he was, era. I mean, he was chiseled and a massive power. Like, he was a massive power forward next to Hakeem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so I guess my point is, though, that it's somehow it's this uh, this this current belief that the guys that were playing in the 80s and 90s were plumbers if they weren't oh, an yeah. all-star. I mean, you, you said it before <laughs> the podcast. It's not like it's like evolution. It doesn't just speed up like this. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I mean, it's the way it's the way basketball was coached and taught at that time. And if you had told these guys, all right, hey, guys, um, we're going to start taking threes and we're going to be doing this and this and this, then. Yeah, sure. I'm sure they could have done it. Of course. Of course. So. All right. So uh, one guy who, speaking of chiseled and jacked, oh. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get the bow outlaw. That was dope. <laughs> bow outlaw is here. 15 years in the NBA. Clippers, Magic, Suns, Grizzlies. Eight years with the Orlando Magic. He's an Orlando Magic community ambassador. He went undrafted out of South Plains College and the University of Houston and signed his first 10 day on February 14th, 1994 with the Clippers. So did you have Valentine's Day plans that day that you had to cancel? No, not really. No. <laughs> oh. Oh. All right. Well, that, so then you end up hoping so for a better end, story. You, yeah. Well, then you end up you end up with the Clippers right away. What was your first experience like in the NBA the very first day? Well, first of all, let me get back to this Valentine's Day. No, I didn't have a, a plan because I was in the CBA. So, you know, when you're in the CBA, your plans are kind of on the back burner because you're trying to get to the next level. So that's how that goes. So coming from that on that first 10 days was a surprise to me. Our team was pretty good. We had guys going up and down on a regular basis. But I – um. You don't never expect it. I was the guy that just appreciated having a chance to play. So <clears throat> when they called me up, we were on the road, actually. So that's why I don't think I had plans. We was on a road trip. We were in, uh, I want to say, Iowa. And uh, I didn't have any clothes but winter clothes. Because in Iowa in February, you know, it's kind of cold. <laughs> mm-hmm. So as I got to California... Off the, off the plane with a sweater and some pants, I was already like, okay, it is way too hot for this. So, so that was probably my first experience in California. And my first experience with the 10-day contract was, wow, it's hot and I'm overdressed and don't have any clothes. So most people's first NBA purchase is a is a new car or a house for their mom, and, and you probably got a pair of shorts. Yeah, I went, I went to find some clothes that I could be comfortable in because I was uh, – but, you know, I didn't really get comfortable because I was on the 10-day contract. So I was in a hotel, so I pretty much stayed there for the whole month. So they worked with me. So my first purchase was some clothes. And after I eventually got settled in, I started, you know, trying to do things the right way. So how – when you're when you're in the CBA, how far away does – does the NBA feel? Well, back then, it, it did not feel that far away. Like I said, my team was pretty good, so guys were going up and down on a regular basis. Uh, 
my plan was, my, I had a long-term plan, was to plan the CBA the whole year and then try back in the summertime. So when I got that 10-day contract, I was like, man. And I still, it didn't hit me till I signed the third 10-day, my final one. The first 10-day, I was still like, okay, they can send me home in any, any minute. They can send me home in any minute. So I was always playing with a chip on my shoulder, like let me let them let let me prove myself and give them a reason why I should be here. So I was always trying to trying to compete, 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 and give them a reason to make it. So it was it was nerve wracking, but it wasn't. I was trying to not think of it as negative. Like I was just I was trying to be like, hey, I'm here as long as they want me. Let's do just do the job while you're here. So I try not to put pressure on myself. What what was draft night like? for you going back a little bit about of not being drafted and i went back and looked at the 93 draft so 54 players taken in those two rounds 11 of them never played an nba game 15 more played fewer than 100 games i um i didn't break it all the way down like that i just broke it down to draft night and I had a little saying when I was coming out of college, you know, if I don't get drafted, you don't be mad because I won't be mad, and I'll just work to try to make it. And that I, I put that in my head, which when draft day came, I was kind of – I was I was nervous. You know, you're nervous because, you know, you yeah. I was I was okay in college, you know. Not great, but I was okay. And uh, I think it hurt me more when my mom was – when she was sad. She cried. I'm like, Mom, it's okay. We're going to make it work another way. And that, that's what really bothered me when I didn't get drafted. And the last thing I called her, I didn't get drafted, and she cried. And uh, I think that was the hardest part of not getting drafted. You know, most people's parents are crying because they got drafted. Mine was crying because I didn't. So that really bothered me right there. So it was kind of awkward. When, when you were at South Plains College, mm-hmm. you, you were there with Cheryl Swoops, right? Yes, we were. What, what was it like? What what was it like seeing one of the all time someone who became one of the all time greats, and and there you two are, and then you went on to play fifteen years in the NBA, both being at South Plains College. When you're playing basketball, you didn't look at it like that. You just looked at you were in the moment. So we were just like, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. We were just like, okay, let's help our team win. And she was very good at that. So we would go watch her games, they watch our games, and it was about playing basketball. So that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to do the best at it. And we I knew she was good. We knew she was good at college, but I didn't know she was that good until she left South Plains and went to Texas Tech. I was like, man, she was doing that at South Plains and she's still doing it. I'm like, oh my goodness. And it was unbelievable. I was like, what the heck? Because you know at South Plains, you're a junior college. It's a real good college, good conference. They play top top talent. And, I mean, she was just head and shoulders. I'm like, this girl's really, really good. And it was – it was, I, I was happy that I, I was a part of her. I've seen her first few years of college basketball growth, and it was, it was impressive because we were just college kids, laughing, joking, playing, saying what's up, talking noise, one another in the gym. And that's where we were, not knowing this many years down the road that she would be where she is. And now I'm so happy that I was, every time I see her, we just talk about it. It's like great times. 
Bo, I I feel like all of a sudden we're it's like the movie Memento. We keep going further and further back down your your history. But mm-hmm. even before South Plains, um, as a high school player in the the San Antonio area, um, Shaquille O'Neal has talked about at that time that you were a better high school player than he was. He's brought you up, and he he said names like it, there was a quote I read. That he said names like Tony Terrell. Calvin yeah. Thomas, Askia Jones, yeah. Bo Outlaw. He said those guys were all better than I was in high school. So that leads me to believe, A, that you're a pretty good high school player, um, and B, that you must have some some recollections of Shaq from high school. Most definitely have recollections. The, the names he named were pretty good names. Me and Calvin played together in high school, so that lets you know our team was not bad. <laughs> we <laughs> were on the same thing. Skeet Jones was in our conference. Tony Terrell was the team you had to beat to get to state. He was a year ahead of us. And when I tell you he stepped across half court and he was open, he was open. Like, it was unbelievable. That team pressed the whole game. They averaged like 110 points in high school. That's unheard of. They averaged that many points. So, they, we, my junior year, we lost to them to go to state. My senior year, we beat them. And, don't let Shaq fool you. His team was he – was, he was Mr. Big Side. I think he got there his 10th grade year maybe, and he walked in the gym and summer league. Y'all was like, what the heck? Who is that? <laughs> I mean, come on, man. My junior – my sophomore going to junior year, I was 6'3". <laughs> so from my junior to senior year, I grew – from my junior to senior year, I grew from 6'3 to 6'6". So as a junior, I'm 6'3", athletic kid, and this dude comes in the gym at 6'9", 6'10". I'm like, what the heck? He's a giant. And uh, he was – he we played AAU together. I don't know if they told you that. So the kids – the guys he named, we all played AAU on the same AAU team except Tony Terrell. There was another kid named Robert Kino who, who was in our grade that went to the school with Tony who played with us. So Ski Jones, Calvin Thomas, Shaquille O'Neal, myself, we were all on that same AAU team. And three out of those four guys played in the pros. If you know Ski Jones, he holds the scoring title at Kansas State to this day, I believe, for most points in the game. Oh, that lets you know we had pretty good basketball in a state that was known for football. Yeah, I'd say. What what was it like traveling around with, with Shaq at that age? Man, what you see right now is what he did back then. He was DJing. And we didn't even have DJ sets, so he'd DJ with his mouth and just, be, you know, just be in the, in the air. <laughs> DJ, we would be beatboxing and laughing and wrestling and playing. And our AU trips were great. Like we had so much fun, and it, it, we didn't travel like we we stayed in motels. So you go outside, you know, you was on the on the balcony looking outside mm-hmm. at the next floor. And say, hey man, what y'all doing? We're getting pizza. So you know, we were doing stuff like that. We were not at the pool a lot, but we were just from room to room. Just talking, playing, and going to the gym, trying to win basketball games, and uh, it was a great time. I think our our senior year, probably our last tournament was at home, was our best tournament. We ended up winning that whole tournament. It was it was pretty good. What 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 was the the nastiest thing you saw Shaq do to another kid on the court, like at, at that age? I mean, we we've seen some what filthy he, stuff. What, <laughs> he, what, about he, at that age. what he did in high school, what you saw in college in the pros, that's what he did in high school. It was. It was it was magnified because in the pros in college you got other big guys. In high school, it's not that many big guys on every team, so they think they're big until Shaq walks in the gym. Like, yeah, 
he's pretty good. <laughs> so he was just a bully. I think most of his fouls he got were probably like running people over. It wasn't really just a foul. It was like an offensive foul because he just was – he was just ginormous. So it was – yeah, that was that was. I I don't I don't know what he's talking about. That we were better than him. Uh, I don't know. He was pretty good. Keith Jones might have probably been the best in the city, but Shaq was. It was them two right there, head and shoulders. They were good. Uh, Shaq's also known for some legendary pranks. You're talking about his his DJ skills and his hoop skills. I, there are some legendary stories about what he's done in the NBA. You got any Shaq stories about what he did later in life, and also what he might have pulled off prank wise in high school? I don't know if I want to tell him prank. His mom might be listening. I might get in trouble. I don't know. Cause don't worry. Yeah, she's, not she's, not she's not listening. She's not My listening. My mom's not I'll make even sure listening. She, I'll make sure she doesn't download this episode. Nah, just, like, we, we, were, we, were, we, were, we, were, we were good teenagers. We had a lot of fun, but at the same time, we tried our best not to do. We would, we would get right to the edge to where we know we're going to get our butt whooped. Not, not talk. We were getting whoopings back then, so we got whooped. <laughs> We were we go right to the edge, and like how we were not bad kids. We were just real active kids. Does that make sense? You name it. We were up all night running from knocking on door to door, putting all the trash in front of somebody's door, knocking on the door. You name it. We did it, and it was uh we have the all the beds on the floor, like all the mattresses all around the wall. Like it was, <laughs> we'd be wrestling in the rooms and. Imagine him six nine, me six six, Calvin six six, Keith on six seven. All of us in there wrestling. And we some big dudes, though. We were just man. Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how we didn't tie those rooms up. I just now I think about it. I'm surprised. Like no TVs or nothing were broke. We just. I don't know. We just yeah. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Did, Playing with those guys, did you see the the potential in Shaq that this guy and did you guys and how much did you guys talk about at the time that with the rest of that group? Like, man, we're all going to be playing in the NBA one day. We're we're this good. Like, how much of a sense did you have how good you were? We never talked about the pros. We would probably talk about college, but we we just talked about we were just kids. We were being kids. Like back then, I don't think it was a big deal to talk about what I'm gonna do later. Now nah, we was trying to handle the task at hand. So we were trying to take care of those games because we weren't winning all the tournaments we were in. Like you think we were, we were not. We were winning tournaments, but we didn't win every last tournament. So we were just trying to get wins and see how we could win the next game and say, okay, once colleges came up, of course Shaq was getting recruited by everybody, America, Keith Jones. I was the I was probably the least one getting recruited on that list that you just named. Wow. Like, That's incredible. All those guys had – Major D1 offers. I think I had one D1 offer coming out of high school, and it was like Miami. Why didn't you take it? Because I was going to have to sit out a year. So I went to – and me personally, I was 6'6", 160. I wasn't ready for college. Well, when did you so, get jacked? <laughs> my first and second year of JUCO. I went from 6'6", uh. 160 to 6'7", 180 to 6'7 and a half, 200. Yeah, so I so I, put, I was in the weight room. I was in the weight room in high school my senior year, but once I got to college, it started changing. And, and uh, I didn't – you don't realize it because you see yourself every day, but people are like, man, you – I was like, huh, I didn't, I didn't feel no different. Mm-hmm. And that's – but I knew I was gaining weight and getting more athletic and stronger, and that's – once I came out of JUCO now, 
I could have went anywhere. But coming out of high school, yeah, I had that one offer, and I told my coach, I said, I think I want to go to JUCO. And he saw – well, he actually brought it to my attention. And I said, okay, that's fine. So I visited some JUCOs, and I ended up at South Plains because of my coach. He said – he, you know, he called me, could you take one more visit? He's like, Charles. I'm like, uh, yes, sir. You know, can you take one more visit? And that last visit I took was to South Plains. And that's why I ended up going. Oh, I, want, I want to get into the pros, but why, um, you know, your coach said Charles, and it's Charles Bo Outlaw. Where did Bo come from? Uh, and I'm, like I said, I'm older, so my mom, she, she gave me the nickname. And, and back then, you didn't question. If your mom said something, that was it. It wasn't <laughs> why you doing it. I, she said, my name would have been Tree Stump. My nickname would have been Tree Stump. I wouldn't have questioned it. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that was just one day she started calling you that, or that was from birth? That's long as I can recall. So I okay. would say from birth. I have okay. no clue how it started. I just know I was both. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's get into the pros. Brent Barry said that when you left, so I want to start with your time with the Clippers, that when you left the Clippers, that he had no social life without you. So what was your social life like with Brent Barry? We were just some kids. Once again, we were kids. Video games, arcades, hang out, eating. Uh, we would always hang out. It's just, it wasn't nothing crazy. We just, let's go eat. Let's go to the mall. We'd walk here, walk there, walk to the shoe store. We, we were always going somewhere together. I'll go to Dave and Buster's to eat at the bar, then go play video games. That's what we did. We, we would find the Dave and Buster's 90% of the time and go hang out there and watch TV, eat at the bar, then go play some video games. We were just big kids, and we were – that was it. Like, every time I see him this day, we just have fun. We laugh because he's a really, really laid-back guy. Like, he's a laid-back dude. and he, he doesn't talk to a lot of people. He doesn't say much. But me and him just hang out like, bro, what's up? Uh, I don't know, man. What you want to do? And he's – he's I can't describe it. Like, we weren't out at the club all night. We were just out in the city. Like, we'd go eat. We'd go to the mall. We'd go to Dave and Buster's. That was our hangout. I think Dave and Buster's was our, our main hangout. So, we could catch – something of eating a video game, we were pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a shame that, that guys these days can't just go out and hang out. Just, you know, they're just surrounded by fans and hounded. And I mean, I'm sure well, you guys, I'm sure you guys had to take some pictures and stuff, but, or, or sign some autographs, but it's not like it is today. Yeah, because think about it. What outlet did we have other than ESPN was just starting? It was good, but it wasn't like it is today. Yeah. Uh, basketball games was, was not on TNT. They were actually on ABC or NBC, one of the two, right? The Peacock channel back in the day. So if you weren't one of the better teams, you weren't on TV like that. So now, fast forward to today, you have so many social media outlets, so many TV things. So every guy who plays in the NBA is famous because the social media world. So therefore, you can't go anywhere without someone saying, oh, that's so-and-so. Back then, me and Brent, we were nobody. Brent became famous once he won a dunk competition with that jacket right. on. At that time, Bo, when you were playing for the Clippers, did you know that Donald Sterling was a racist? Did you know that he was such a bad guy behind the scenes? Nah, man. You don't, you don't, you, you, meet, you, you meet the owners and of course they, they talk to you and they're happy you're on the team, but 
he he didn't he didn't he didn't he didn't he wasn't around us like that. He'd come in and say some few words, then do his business stuff. So if y'all want to call him, that's on you. That's your your words, not mine. So I don't know how that goes. That's what y'all want to call him. So be it. I just was trying to do my job and trying to keep a job at that point. So yeah. Someone asked me now. Go ahead. Does, did you know that? I'm like that. I get asked that question on the regular. Uh huh. And I, my response is like. Nah, I was a kid trying to play basketball. I mean, really, I was a kid. I think about it, I was 21, 22, 23. And for me to know that, uh, he would have to just bluntly come to my face and say, get out of my face. And I would have like, dang. You know what I mean? But right, right, it, right. It, that never happened because I was employed by him. So I don't know if he would have actually said it that way. So therefore, none of that came across. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, you... You have a pretty wild distinction of playing on two teams with Dominique Wilkins that were not yeah. the were not the Atlanta Hawks. Like, so you played with Dominique with the Clippers, and then again with the Orlando Magic. And it's hard to even fathom, I think, for a lot of NBA fans of even of trying to imagine Dominique in one of those other uniforms. What yeah. was t- take us inside? What was what was Dominique like at that point of his life? Who Dominique Wilkins was he when he came to the Clippers, he was just coming back to the NBA. I think if that's correct, he was he was he was he After was after Greece. Yeah, he just came from overseas and he had a mentality that if the ball touched his hand, it was going up. He's like, Bo, you know you're not getting the ball, so just go get it off the rim. And he was a fun guy. He's really a fun guy. Like we had fun. And I like to go out with him because I'd have to pay for nothing. He's gonna pay for all the food. I'm like, yes, I'm gonna eat. <laughs> but he um he made sure we were taking care of when we went to Atlanta because he you know he was Mister you know Atlanta so yeah. when we went there we'd get food and just here have it set up for us and, and just take care of you. you want something your fella let me know but him on the basketball court yeah he didn't have too many assists he <laughs> not passing the ball <laughs> uh Boa um I. I reached out to another teammate of yours to see if we could get some background information on you. Talk to Casey Jacobson. And <laughs> he he said you're an amazing guy and one of his favorite teammates of all time. And he said that he told a story that after the 2003 season, you would take your car up to Flagstaff and help out with the WNBA franchise up there, the, the Mercury with their training camp. Yep. He said you were rebounding fetching water for the women and whatever you could do. And he said what was remarkable about it was he had never heard of any other player, you know, being that kind of a genuine person. So can you tell me about that experience and also just sort of, you know, where, where that comes from that you're this, this NBA player who people would call NBA guys privileged in some sense. And yet here you are, you know, going to get water for women on an NBA team? Because it's, I was just trying to help out, man. I was, I'm was i a fan of basketball. I like all basketball from from five-year-olds to 55-year-olds. You play basketball, I'm a fan. And if I could help out, they were, we, were, we were in the same family. They're Phoenix, we're Phoenix. And uh, I just wanted to be a part of being the, the, the coaching aspect of trying to help out and get some girls better so they can be best women they can be when they play that game. 
So if it took, took for me rebounding for them when they get shots up, fine. They wanted me to be a blocking dummy, fine. They wanted me to big body, fine. If I need to be a point guard to get water for them, that's what it was. It was. It's not about me. Once you get to the NBA, it's not about you anymore. It's about the people around you and who the lives you can affect. And I was just trying to help out the best way I could. And to this day, I'm still a fan of WNBA. I don't get to watch it as much as I want, but I'm just, I'm just a basketball fan. And I was just, I appreciate the coaches for giving me an opportunity to help out because they could have been like, nah, nah, Bo, you know, I appreciate you want to come up, but we, we don't do this. And they, they had no problem with being there, getting to the gym early, helping out, setting up and asking what the game plan was or what you want me to do. And, and that's just what it's about, just helping somebody else because I got to where I was not by myself. Someone helped me. So if I can help somebody else be successful, hey, I'm all for it. When you were playing, if whatever team you're on hired a female head coach, what would the reaction have been? For me? Yeah, for you and not just you, though, because I think, I think you're a different breed. You're your teammates. Back in, the, back in my era, I don't uh-huh. know how that would have went off. I don't know. The guy's mentality was a guy's mentality. Some guys would have took in, but it would have been different. Now it's becoming more accepted and the norm. But back then, things were different. And my, uh, it, I would have been cool with it. You know, I'm like, all right, she coach, she the coach. We're going to try to make you look good, coach. But uh, I can't speak for someone else. Like, I don't know what their mentality was, what their thought process but. I hope that would have been uh, accepted for her, but I'm not 100% sure because the way I look at it is it's a woman. And if you don't you don't disrespect your mom, so you don't disrespect that woman right there. So she's in position of power, so be it, let's get it going. Mm-hmm. What if, and I know you, I know you played with, with John Amici, yeah. what, what, if he, what if he had come out at the time? How would that have been it received? Was, I, I, once again, I was fine. So, I mean, yeah. That that guy was how to say the communication glue of our team. What I mean by that, we could be on the bus and John Amici would probably start a conversation that the whole bus was involved in. Not just mm-hmm. two people, the whole bus was having a discussion about one thing. Normally you get on buses, three people talking there, three people talking there, four people talking there, two people talking there. No, we would have a discussion about one topic, the whole bus. So he's he's a great teammate. He'd come in, do his job, work out, play his game, and let's go. Then afterwards, you, you know, you can find John Amici somewhere drinking tea. He's going to get his tea. I was like, man, you going to get tea? Yeah, you're not going to get my tea. I'm like, hey, man, you got it. Super good dude and always had a book. And he, he, you, being around him, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn a lot. Dude is extremely intelligent. Like, this is like a whole nother level of intelligence. I'm like, dude. He'd be like, boom. I'm like, man, stop it. You know, I don't know what that means. He'll say something. I say, you got to break that all the way down for me. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, like, man, John, you can't say that. He's like, okay, my bad, bro. Come here, bro. This is what, the, okay. Thank you. Now I know what that word means when you say it next time. It's, yeah, he's yeah he's yeah, good dude, right? Really, really good dude. And can play basketball. Yeah, certainly could. How how would it be received today if it was a player that was in his prime? It, well, right now it's it that's it's 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 acceptable today's society. It was back then when it wasn't. You notice no one came out back then. Now it's it's okay to come out. You know what I'm saying? 
So right, but not, but now, there hasn't been there hasn't been an NBA player in his prime to do it. But that's what I'm saying. I can't once again. If it happens, it's going to be accepted because that's that's it's, it's that's the society we live in, the time we live in. Things are no one looks at things as, as different or weird. Now it's just okay. That's life. That's how that's things good. are. People are different. So times have changed. People have grown and people have matured. So. I guess you could say we were immature back then or we were selfish, but now people are more understanding. So if you come, you got something to say and say it, people are willing to help you now with your situations and problems rather than shun you. You know what I mean? That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, speaking of people willing to help with situations, I want to talk about some more teammates. When you're in Phoenix, play with Steve Nash, who I want to get to in a moment, but Mari Stoudemire's rookie year, um, you play with with him, and uh, he's making fun of you for wearing goggles. And then later, he <laughs> takes them on himself. What was it like to play with with Amari his his, his rookie year? First of all, how did you know that? How you know that? <laughs> I, Bo, Bo, we know we know things. We know. Listen, things, that was that's so true. Because every time we come in the gym, and he would get my goggles on, put them on, my baby, he's talking about like, dude, you crazy? He'd be joking. Uh, playing with him was great. Because, like you say, his rookie year, he wanted to play a lot more than he did. And I'm like, come here, young fella, take your time, relax. He would come talk to me on a regular basis. Tim Gergeridge was assistant. Me and him, me, Tim, and Amari would always talk. So he'd have a problem. I'd say, come here, man. And I'd hug him. I'd say, hey, man, relax, man. You're going to get your chance. Just keep doing your job. Keep working. Man, relax, young fella. And as time went on, he kept putting in the work. He went from not having a jump shot to working on his uh, five to eight foot. So then went from eight to 10 foot, then from 10 to, to 12, and then from 12 to 15, from 15 to 17. And he put the work in to get the shot that he got. And his athleticism was always there. But once he started putting that work in, and I said, hey, you okay? Keep working, keep working. And there was boom. Once he, took, once he got his opportunity, yeah, there was no looking back. How about Steve Nash? What was it like to play with him? That he was that was first pro. MVP year, right? Yes, he was a flat-out yeah. pro. Pro. Like, I got to the gym early. This dude was in the gym early, working out, getting his stretching and his flexibility because, you know, he had a bad back, so he was in there getting his rehab. Then he go out there, and every shot you saw him shooting the game, he was in the gym working on it. I'm like, this guy's working on those shots. I go down and help rebound sometime, but I just sit there and look at him. I shoot a man, but I just stop for a little bit and just look at him like he's putting the work in. And he in the gym, wiping both sides of his hair, making sure they're behind his ear and doing his going through his routine. I'm like, this dude right here was a he was a pro. He everything he got, he deserved and he worked for. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to be a part. I was happy to be his teammate. Bo, the no and I talk often about how how guys from if they aren't playing right now, people disrespect the, how good they were. And I feel like Steve Nash has sort of gotten that rap, like people knock him for winning, you know, MVPs and all that. And I'm I'm curious if you could explain as a teammate just how talented he was compared to the rest of the league. Because people see, you know, that what they perceive as a lack of athleticism and all this, just as a teammate, just how good this guy was. Watch this. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Chris Paul... Uh, Steph Curry, uh, 
Kimber Walker, Kyrie Irving. I named those guys to let you know because they're real clever with the ball, right? Correct? Mm-hmm. So when they're dribbling the ball, if you think about it, the moves that they're doing, Steve Nash was doing those back then. He would dribble through the paint, keep his dribble alive, get a switch, go in front of, off the pick and roll, stop behind the guard, keep him on his back. Like all the stuff that they're doing, he did it, would you, like you say, with less athleticism. But just because you're athletic don't make you good. Larry Bird wasn't the most athletic, was he? Not the most, but no. He got a lot of points. Steve Nash was athletic enough to get the job done. Could he dunk the ball? Yes. Was that what he needed to do on a regular? No. He was he was so clever with the ball and so smart. He was two plays ahead of everybody. So he's running this play, but he knows who's coming and where people should be. And guys made it a point to get to their spots. And if you got to your spot and you turn that corner and you was open, there's a good chance that ball's coming. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't selfish. Could he score the ball? Yes. He would make sure his teammates score because he had the ball all the time, so he could score when he wanted to. But if he got his teammates to score, then it made it easier for him to score. Like, I'm thinking about it. If I keep the ball to Sean Mary in one corner, Joe Johnson in another corner, Quentin Richards in another spot, that means you can't leave those guys. So, therefore, when I run a pick and roll with Amari, it's just two on two. Amari's man can't switch because then Amari's going to punish the guard. So, he's thinking all this as he's running the point, like, yes. Y'all in positions, okay, I'm going to wait. Everybody set up, now I'm going to attack. So if Steve Nash was standing at the time now, he would have been just as effective because it's less contact. He was doing that with getting beat up. Remember, he was playing with a bloody nose and everything. Like, he right. got hit. So don't act like the dude's not tough. He played through a lot of injuries and pains. And we played Dallas. We were in the playoffs of Dallas, game six in Dallas. I think he went for like 35 and 15 and played, might, might have played like the whole game. And you, you can't tell me that, man, that dude flat out can play the game. I don't care what you're talking about. Just because you're athletic don't mean you can play. It's a lot of guys athletic can't do the things he can do. So don't get it twisted because he wasn't athletic. Now, what does athleticism have to do with you being a good basketball player? Right. When when you talk about smart guys, and then even from another era, Jerry West signed you in Memphis, and yeah. and Hubie that was that was Hubie Brown's first yeah. full year as a head coach, and you guys went to the playoffs, which was which was wild, going fifty and thirty two. What's the what's the story about Hubie Brown that still makes you laugh? Oh man, he Hubie was he was a really good coach. I think I, it was probably more me than him. He was a good coach. I was, I was always, I was older, and I was trying to always. When he say something, he wanted it done that way and that way only. And I was always, well, what if he does this? He's what made what, what I remember about him most is we would come in the gym and we were we he would have a system of how many games we played four games this month or this week. If we can win two out of four. That's going to put us at 50%. Now, if we get three, then that's doing better. So, we always – he did games in blocks. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we got four games, we say, okay, if we can win two out of these four, that's great. If we get three, that's a If we get four, we're doing great. So, we would always break the season down in three to four games. You know what I'm saying? Rather than, oh, we got 12 games. No, we got these four. Let's take care of these right here. Mm-hmm. So, we just have to focus on that. So, we can win – 
think about it. If you win two out of every four games, that puts you at 50%, and you're going to be 41 and 41. So we start getting, okay, well, we got three this Monday, we got three, and that started carrying over, and guys started buying in. And I like the fact that he had a rotation set. He played 10 guys, and every blue moon had to go 11 or 12, depending on who somebody wasn't playing well. He said, he never told us, he'd say, Bo, you going at this time and you going at this time. So guys didn't have to go with We would just get up at our, our check-in time and go check in in the first half. Like, yeah. I knew when I was going in the first half. Last three minutes of the quarter, I would go in and get positive told, like, every time. It wasn't like, Bo, go get him. No, go get him. Now, if I start playing well and then I play good, then the second half, he'll change the rotation. Okay, you don't go get Bo, go get somebody else. Because Bo was supposed to come out at three minutes, but I'm going to let Bo stay in and you go get him, and we'll change the rotation. If you're playing well, he's going to ride you. If you're just playing okay or doing what you're supposed to, he'll get you out. You you come be upset because you know what to expect. And that's what I remember most about him. He had his he had his game plan. And he stuck to it. he stuck to it. Can you can you do a better impression of of Hubie Brown, or Stan Van Gundy, or Chuck Daly? <laughs> I I was a good impression guy. I just my voice is too deep to do impressions about anybody. <laughs> <laughs> who 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 was? Uh, give me give me some of your teammates who who could do great impressions of those guys. Dwight Howard was great at Stan Van Gundy. Okay. Uh, Hubie Brown, no one really messed with Hubie. <laughs> Chuck Daly, everybody, I think Horace Graham, like, come on, man, I, I got a tea time in three. I got a tea time. You guys got to got out. So he was, he was good about, if you're going to practice, say we practice from 10 to 11, you're going to practice from 10 to 11 because he had a tea time at 12. So he had to be out of the gym. So <laughs> he, Hubie didn't get messed with. Chuck Daly was laid back so you didn't mess with him much, you know, but Dwight, he used to stand back gun and Dwight guy, he would get him all the time. Should you the uh, should, should the Lakers sign sorry, I'm should the Lakers sign Dwight? Uh they need a big man, I'm assuming why not? Because he's a big guy. In the, in today's game, it's no big guys that play down low, so he has an advantage there, but um I don't know. I'm not a GM, so that's a tough situation. He's been there. He knows the people there, so that's a chance. That's something they're willing to take, so be it. Uh, you need a big. As long as he comes in and do what he's supposed to do, pass his physical, hey, I'm all for it. Early on in Dwight's career, you and Tony Batie were sort of the the leaders of the, the, the front court with that, that Magic team. Uh, when Dwight came in, as the story goes, you you guys were the ones sort of keeping him on the straight and narrow as as a young kid coming in the league. You talk about your experiences when you were a kid. Um, what was that like, and 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 how much have you seen a Dwight, you know, change or grow through the years as as he's oh, been an NBA man. player himself? That was hard because remember he we came out of college, he came out of high school. So we had some college experience and some growth right there. He's 18 years old, superstar. Not just an average player, he was a superstar at 18. He was the talk of the town, you know what I mean? Like, this kid was not a normal kid. He was. You saw that kid coming out of high school? Oh, my goodness. That kid yep. played high school against somebody? Yeah, that's not fair. So him coming to lead, automatic magnet. He had people pulling on him from the day he got drafted, before he even got drafted. And it was rough. We tried the best, but 
we were not with him all day, so we had him in the gym. We would talk to him, and he'd take advice. But the second he left, as they say, he left the nest from around us, his kid's going to be a kid. And uh, I wish it would have been better for him because he had he – had, he had everything he needed here. It was it was a great situation. It's just when you're that young, you just want you, all you see is the lights. And uh, I just I just wish he would. I could I could, like I say I you saying I was a guidance. I wish I could have did better. It's an interesting thing because NBA locker rooms you hear all the time about about guys that recollect. Oh, I'm so glad I had this guy in my corner. And some guys just just don't listen to it or or don't heed that advice. So, you know, and I'm sure you're, you're, you've, you've been wonderful through players throughout the league. The league just constantly talks about this, this impact that you've had on guys in all places that, that you went. Everyone talks about Bo Outlaw, that, about how much he can eat and about how much of a great mentor he's, he's been. Uh, but, but Casey Jacobs had also, um, he told me another story about you saying that during his rookie year, and I'm curious as to how much you remember this. He said that they were, you guys are scrimmaging practice one day. You make a great play. He said he slapped you on the ass to encourage you. And you immediately said, don't slap me on the ass. I don't like that. And he said, you were dead serious. He said, I never touched his ass again. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember 100%. That was my pet peeve. I did not like being slapped on the backside. Like, that's not good to me. Tell me this. Once you're a little kid and you get hit on the backside, you're normally getting a spanking. Am I correct? Right. I, I had a feeling that's where you were <laughs> headed with that. Yeah. Oh, I had, I had that, a feeling that's where you were going. How is that good that you're hitting me on my backside? Like, do not hit me on my backside. I'm cool. Like, I, you can ask anybody in the league about that. I think they all know because when, when you do it the first time, as I got a little older, I try to be polite about it. Like, I appreciate if you don't remember, but because I don't like it. Now, if you did it again after I told you, then we had a problem. So, <laughs> but Casey called me in the bus and a good, hey man, do not do that. He's one hundred percent right. I was not a fan of that because I don't understand how that's a good job on it. Because as a kid, that's not good. Don't see how that works good. That's not good. I feel like I'm getting a whooping. Like, no, mama, no, don't do that. <laughs> wait, and wait, and Adam said that that the stories are legendary of you eating. Do you have a, like, have you ever completed one of those massive eating challenges where your face is up on the wall? Any, any, anything like that? No, nah, man, I never found any. Like, I didn't find out about those until I actually got out of the league when I started watching the Food Network. Like, when I was playing, I never knew where those places were. Like, but, but like, what, to them, to them, like, what were you putting away? Everything in front of me. Like, it was, I was, a, I could eat a whole pizza, no problem with some cookies on the side and some milk. I was a chocolate chip cookie. Like, we got on the plane. The ladies had chocolate chip cookies and milk before I even took off. So I just ate, like, all day. Like, every two to three hours, I had to eat something. It was unbelievable. I still eat, like, every three hours now, but I eat, I ate, like, every three hours I had to eat. I got irritated. I really got, like, I need food. I just got irritated. In 2000, you you have a it's a famous story that you have a triple double, and after the game, <laughs> someone asked you about it, and you said you said what's that a hamburger? There's no way you didn't know what a triple double was, right? Please clear this up. 
Oh, come on, man. I had triple doubles in college. Yes, I knew what it was. <laughs> I'm my, my thing was I'm not a big I'm not a big compliment guy. So I was it's not about me. I was never it's, whenever I play the game, it's not about me. I'm the man. The triple double think about it, I just told him I don't get a triple double if my teammates don't make shots. Is that not true or not? True. Of course. I can't get assists if they don't make shots. So I'm not a big credit guy. I was always just, I was joking, like, yeah, I knew what it was. I just like, man, what's that? I'm, I'm just, that, you know, that's the rest of my life, right? That's going to be stuck with me for the rest of my life. But it, it, it was all a good fun, and they took it and ran with it. I was like, yeah, it was just some, some joke. Because I'm not, I don't, I'm not a big compliment guy. Like, I was never like, I'm not the, the limelight type of guy. I just forgot to go do his job, and you don't got to give me credit. Just the people that just say thank you, I'm fine with that. Well, you were in the limelight in in '01 when you uh, and you bumped Jess Kersey, and you got you got a ten thousand dollar fine. Then you missed oh a game, so that was a paycheck. That's seventy seven. That's seventy seven thousand. How long well, did it take you? How long did it take you to get over that, or were you stewing stewing on that one for a long time? I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm over that to this day. I did not bump him. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a question. It's like everyone who brings this story up, I'm asked a question. Do you, have you ever seen me play basketball? Yeah, sure. Of course. Okay. And you see me running the lane in a full speed, right? Yeah. So if I bump into you, you I think everybody in the gym going to know I hit you, right? Because I'm not yeah. running slow. And I'm going to leave it at that because that was a touchy <laughs> subject because – if I'm running a fast break and I run into you, what's the distance traveling for the person I hit? What do you think they're going to go, one foot, two foot, or plus? Uh, Ten feet. <laughs> exactly. So if I hit this man and I'm running that fast, there's no way he's going to drop straight down. Now, I know, I know Doc was pissed about it. Did, did the team pay your fine or did you have to pay that? I had to pay it, but I'm going to ask you this. If you can pull that film, if you go look at that, and you tell me that I ran into that man. I'll, t- I'll find you it. Just, and you just, you like, I'm running a fast break. I'm running a fast break, and I run into you. And that's what's going to happen? You're going to, come on now. No shot. No shot. So, and- therefore, if the league is going to suspend me, and I had no history in my NBA career, and they're going to they gonna, they gonna suspend me a game? That's not cool, man. Like, I'm, come on, man. I'm not that guy. Bo, I was too... that, that, that hurt me. Yeah, that's like, that, that, that ball. I can tell. Crazy. Yeah. That's yeah, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, we know you're upset. I, I'm thinking how upset you would have gotten if you had just asked if we'd seen you play basketball. We both said no. I was just thinking yeah. about <laughs> <laughs> what that would have looked like. Um, nah, if y'all have seen me, if y'all have seen me, that's cool. But I just that right. Of course we saw you. Of course it, we did. I'm, it, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. Like I'm not. The only reason I'm gonna get that stuff. You do something with my family, I get it. But you not. Nah, 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 nah. Like, are you kidding me? Like for real? Come on, man. That hurt me to this day. Bo, I, I, I have two quick questions for you. I, I don't, don't know about Noah, but just real quick one. Uh, I was looking up this guy who recently wrote an analytics article that went back in history and was sort of examining seasons in the past based upon 
the analytics that we use today and guys that were undervalued. And basically he makes the case that in 98 for the magic, you should have been MVP and, and said Whoa. essentially and said, and his argument was that you were second in the NBA and wins produced that season, but you weren't able to rely on other stars on the team to take up some of the slack. Even a guy like Dennis Rodman had Jordan. Indeed, there was only one other player on Outlaw's team who even played 2,000 minutes that year. Bo Outlaw produced almost 10 more wins than anyone else on his team, an MVP in the truest sense of the word. So obviously, you know, there wasn't MVP votes for you at that time. But I'm just curious, like when you look back on your career and all the things that you that you did as a glue guy and as a defensive guy, we think about guys like Dennis Rodman, who were great rebounders and played incredible defense. But but obviously made a name for himself in other ways too. Like, how much have you, you know, I don't know if regrets the word, but but like, does it? How much is frustrating to you that people don't appreciate all the little things that you did as a teammate and and as a you know as a glue guy? Uh, that's a good question. I'm a. I only can control my area, so the people who I play with, as long as they appreciate it, I'm good. Because the people that's not in the gym with us or not around y'all time, they're not going to get it anyway. They're just the people who noticed us because of the TV time or this and that. But we were not that team. If we would have won a championship, guess what I would have got? The notoriety. That's true. But since we didn't win a championship, just another guy in the NBA didn't get drafted. But when I played, when I played at that time, if you – Go around the league and name guys. My name is not one of those guys that you would come up with. You got Jordan, you got Dennis Rodman, you got Patrick Ewing, you got Lonzo Mourning, got Shaquille O'Neal, got Kim Olajuwon, David Robinson, Sean Kemp, uh, I, I said Reggie Miller. You know what I'm saying? You got guys like Glenn Rice, like legit all stars. How would my name fit in those guys? Are you kidding me? I'm not in that discussion, like ever. You go back in 98 and see who was in the league. Why would my name come up? I maybe, get it. Eat, maybe it was like an eating contest or something. <laughs> right. That's the only reason my name would come up, or somebody who was in shape. Now, as they say, okay, one guy's in shape, okay, bowling. But Someone in shape. Out playing basketball? Yeah, nah. But you won. You, you won games, though. You, your ability on the court helped teams win games. Yeah, yeah but we, the problem was, in order to get discussed, you got to win a certain amount of games and the right games. We didn't win the championship, so therefore your name doesn't come in that discussion. Yeah. Perfect example, Toronto Raptors. Guess who's really good now? Pascal Siakam. He's mm-hmm. been good before they won a championship, right? True. So therefore, now he's 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 a known name walking around the city. Mark Gasol was a pretty good player. Right? He was the MVP, if I'm correct, right? Defensive Player of the Year. He was Defensive Player of the Year. Yes. Yeah. Defensive Player MVP kind of Defensive Player of the Year, but now he wins a, a, he wins a championship. Guess what? When you win a championship, it brings a light to you. If we if we went to the playoffs and got to the second or third round, maybe then it comes up. But then we didn't do all that. Mm, all right, because like you say, we didn't have that guy on our team, right? True. Last last oh. one for me for uh, the Gucci Mane song "Hold That Thought" mentions you. 
Bo. How do you know this? So, look, again, we do our homework here on, on the Catch Issue podcast. So, uh, the line, by the way, Noah, I'm sure you can recite it by heart, but it's catch me on the rebound like Bo Outlaw. I'm a Mikey Vickett, whip it, cook it, southpaw. Um, Bo, first time that you heard that you were in, in a rap song, your reaction? I was like, you're lying, because I had no clue. If someone played, played it for me. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And uh, it's, re- it's really cool. I saw Gucci Mane probably last year, and I told him about that. He said, yeah, man. I said, you know me. He's like, man, I rapped. I said, okay, my bad. You know, you don't – I'm not that guy, man. So I don't ever put myself as that guy. I just be like, okay, I'm okay. I live with myself every day, so I don't – my attitude don't, does not allow me to walk around like I'm better than the person next to me. Now, am I confident? Yes. Am I cocky? No. You know, and there's a fine line of being confident and cocky. I'm going to walk in the gym. I'm going to give everybody respect. And I'm going to try to beat you. But I don't think everyone knows me either. You know what I mean? So if that makes sense, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't, I just, I don't know. I was very, I was very impressed that he put me in that song and I'm, like, when guys know me, I, I, I surprised me. I'm like, you know me? Like, yeah, like, my bad. They had, they had, yeah, they had another one of your former – they had Spud Webb in that one. Um, he was a teammate yeah. of yours. Vince was in that one. Rip Hamilton was in that one. Yeah. And that's all I'm like, those, but you, you, those guys use his name are pretty good. One of them still playing. Spud Webb won a dunk competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spud won the dunk competition. Vince is still playing. And who – Rip Hamilton? Yeah. How many championships he got? Thank you. And how do I fit in that? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, Bo, let's close with this. We always close every catch and shoot podcast with this. Game on the line, game seven, to win the title, a catch and shoot situation. Which one of your teammates from your 15 years is getting the ball in a catch and shoot situation to win it? Catch and shoot. Ooh, that's a tough one. I got a lot of them. I'm taking. I got Tracy McGrady on my team. I got Steve Nash. Uh, and these, them, them two right there are coming to the top of my list. Nick Anderson's on our team. He won a couple games for me already. I played with Penny Hardaway. Uh, I might have to say I got Joe Johnson. I'm gonna have to say I might have to go with Tracy. Catch and shoot. But flat out shoot. Wait, okay. Is this a contested catch and shoot or open contested? Uh, open. However you want it to be. If it's an open catch and shoot, Steve Nash, by okay. far. He's shoot. He's what they call him. Uh, uh, what is it? Forty, fifty, ninety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, forty from the field, fifty from three, ninety from the line. Yeah. That. Come on, man. Now, if it's contested, I'm going to trace McGrady. Because he has the ability to rise up and shoot over anybody. Well, we know one thing. Dominique's not going to be the one making the pass. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. He's not passing. He's not passing. <laughs> Dennis Scott just that. called. He's upset that you didn't mention him. But Who? Dennis Scott. I didn't play with Dennis Scott. Oh, you didn't cross over with him. All right. Well, then, no. no. He's not calling then. Okay. I, was gonna say, I, was, okay. I didn't play with Detroit. Okay. If I played with Dennis hang Scott, up on you. <laughs> maybe, hey, I didn't, uh, maybe I didn't see you play, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee, Adam, you never saw Bo play with Dennis Scott. That game, that, that, that is, that is one game that, that we have not true. seen. But we really do appreciate it. Thanks for all the time. No, thank you, guys. Time to hit the spread. You know, when I reached out to Bo 
about doing the podcast. He, he certainly did not know like what we were going to get into. And I, I found it funny when he just kept saying, how'd you guys know that? How'd you guys know that? I've never had a, I've never had an, a guest ever say that before. Like I've had guests say, wow, you guys really do your homework, but not like, Oh, how'd you know that? How'd you know that? How'd you know that? The Casey Jacobson stuff was, that was, oh, that was funny. And I'm glad, cool. I'm glad you always reach out to guys that, that know our guests to, to get some stories. Yeah, that was, it's It was gold. So thanks to Casey. And I, I think it, it speaks to, and I obviously both touch on it at the end of the, the interview, just his humility in a way that not thinking anyone would sort of know details about his life. And, um, you know, once again, goes to show how much research that we try to put into these things. And certainly Noah, like you, you research like no other, it's incredible. Uh, but, he's, but he's the guy and I, and I appreciate him that he's the guy that will walk in somewhere and introduce himself when, yeah, of course we all know who he is, right? but he's going to walk in and introduce himself. And I, and I, and I appreciate that. It's those little things that I think say a lot about a person. All right, let's close with what's entertaining us. I've been watching, have I talked about Fleabag yet on no, Amazon? No. So no. I've been watching Fleabag on Amazon and it's a riot. It's a, uh, it's a British comedy drama. It's on Amazon. It's six episodes, one season, six episodes, sec- second season. And from what I've been told, that's it. That they're just doing these 12 episodes. So I'm, I've got, uh, I just finished season two, episode two. It's, it's half hour shows. <laughs> it's pretty shocking comedy. Uh, and it's it's brilliant and it's a riot. And I actually I just started watching Veep also. Okay. I'd seen uh, a few episodes here and there on airplanes, but mm-hmm. I never started from the beginning. So Marissa and I just started from the beginning. And holy shit, it is funny. Entertaining, huh? Oh, it's so great. How about you? Uh actually been reading a, a book, a Stephen King novel that was uh, I think published in uh twenty eleven. Uh it's called Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. It's basically about this guy who travels back in time uh, in an attempt to uh, prevent the assassination of, of uh, John F. Kennedy. And it's, it's an incredible book. It's a very, very uh, dense. It's about 800-something pages. But it's a really fascinating story because it basically takes the concept of time travel and you know, you hear always the theoreticals like, oh, if we could go back in time and, you know, take out this figure from the past, like he actually like plays it out as to what it would be like. Like, how would you make money in that scenario? Like, how would you fit in with others? Like, what's the food taste like? What's it smell like? And it's really cool. Like, look back at at history. Uh, this whole podcast seems to be about like sort of recognizing some of this stuff historically. And I think and this uh, this book does a really good job of the detail of what it was like in the in the late fifties and and uh, early sixties. Now, well, I hope uh, Hudson had a great day, great first day. I hope he gets home okay, since he's only walking a few hundred yards by himself up and down <laughs> winding roads in San Francisco. Day might be over by now. The day might be over what? by now. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, make sure everybody goes back and downloads the Mike Wise show on the Pure Hoops podcast network also buckets boards and blocks monica mcnutt pure hoops podcast eric newman bj armstrong and if you're listening to us make sure you click the subscribe button and then it takes about 30 seconds to click the five star rating and then maybe about i don't know 
it's a whole total of 30 seconds. So click the five star rating and leave a 12 word review. And then you know what we'll do? We're going to start reading the five star reviews on the podcast. So if you want to hear your your Apple iTunes podcast handle mentioned on the program, then just leave a five star review. Maybe that'll be some some motivation. Yeah, and I'm not averse to reading a four star review, Noah. I'll I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay, you can do that. I'm only reading five star <laughs> Well, one more thing. We want to thank the Pure Hoops uh, team, everybody that's involved, but most notably our producer, Scott Turkin, who you never hear his voice on the podcast. We would never allow that, but had a birthday this weekend, so happy birthday to Scott. Yeah, yeah, I hope, uh, hope 59 treats Scott well. Danko, I appreciate it, buddy. You're the best. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.